All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have Henner Gracie, legend in the jiu-jitsu space, entrepreneur, and just a really great guy to talk to you about the business side of jiu-jitsu. Today, we dive into this idea of what is jiu-jitsu, how to get started in it, if that isn't something you've been getting into, but also for those of us that own brick-and-mortar locations, we discuss the growth of jiu-jitsu in particular and how we as either functional training centers, CrossFit gyms, could maybe find an opportunity to generate revenue, expand our business with either someone in our team or maybe for ourselves as well. And Henner really wanted to go ahead and spread that message. He sees it happening right here, right in front of him, and he wanted to make sure that all of you are aware of it. So we dive in a little bit of jiu-jitsu, a little bit of business, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Now, as per usual, if you haven't rated or reviewed this podcast, would appreciate it if you do. We have over 140, 50 episodes by now, and I hope you're enjoying them. If you're looking for the business side of fitness, I'm sure in one of those episodes, we touch base on something that you're definitely interested in. I hope you guys have a great day. Keep crushing it. Hope your business is doing well. Hope your family's doing well. Let's go. All right, so Henry, you and I, we've known each other for a little while now. We've been going back and forth. We've talked business quite a bit. And I look to you in the jiu-jitsu space as one of the unique people who's just really stood out as someone who's been innovative, who has created amazing opportunities for yourself, your family, but also a lot of other instructors, students, et cetera. And this network through the Grace University and the things you're doing with law enforcement, which I want to get into towards the end of this and how gym owners can actually generate potentially a new revenue stream that they probably haven't thought of because I didn't think of it until I talked to you. I want to dive into that. But before we get into anything, let's just start off with this. What is jujitsu and why is it such an amazing art? Well, I know you're not asking for yourself because you already <laughs> got the bug. First of all, you're addicted and you're a lifer and you're stuck. But I think that you're intelligently asking for your massive audience, um, many of whom are gym owners. So listen, let me just say this. What is jujitsu? Jujitsu is um, the most effective self-defense system the world has ever known. That's in a generic sense. And that's in terms of why my family practices it, that's what it's for. Self-protection, self-defense, self-empowerment. Jiu-Jitsu is the ultimate equalizer that enables anyone to defend themselves against someone stronger, more athletic, more powerful with leverage, technique, timing, and energy efficiency. That's what it is. Jiu-Jitsu, the way I like to explain it to some people, Jiu-Jitsu delivers what every other martial art promises or claims to offer, but doesn't deliver on. Jiu-Jitsu is that art. Instead of the karate kid, it should have been the jiu-jitsu kid. Like that's <laughs> the, and here's what's wild. Like we've always known this in the Gracie family. Now America and the world is starting to recognize this truth. It's a quintessential art in the ultimate fighting championship. And it's something that today military and law enforcement at the highest levels are practicing as part of their regular hand-to-hand -hand combat training. Um, and I'm just honored to be part of the family that really made it all happen. And my grandfather, for those who don't know, was one of the co-founders of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the early 1920s, made it happen in Brazil, challenge matches, demonstrating proficiency against other martial arts and other martial artists, defeating, you know, people much larger, much stronger, proving the efficacy. My father brought it to America in 1978, started teaching in his garage here in Hermosa Beach, opened the Gracie Academy in 1989, 11 years later. In that time, conducted countless challenge matches with representatives of other martial arts um, to prove the effectiveness of jiu-jitsu in a no-rules fight setting. And then those challenge matches in Brazil and in the early garage days served as the really kind of the, the predecessor for what is today UFC, MMA, right? That all began with this idea of Gracie Challenge. Take one martial art, another martial art, let them fight, and then let's, let the viewers see what really works and what doesn't. And when they put that on television in 1993... Um, you know, November 12th in Denver, Colorado, the world saw something crazy, right? Eight men, different disciplines, no weight classes, no time limits, no rules, anything goes. And then one of those guys was Hoist, my uncle, who went in there as the family representative um, and amongst other reasons was chosen because of his smaller physique, knowing that he would be a more 
effective representation of jujitsu's effectiveness if he could go in there and defeat these much larger, you know, much heavier, much more athletic opponents. And, um, and he did that. He won UFC's one, two, and four, put the art on the map. And from that point on, military, law enforcement, civilians all over the world, just kind of, it kind of demystified martial arts, right? Yeah. There was all this hoopla. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, you're telling me the skinny Brazilian guy in the white pajamas is going to beat that huge, swole-looking martial artist of another discipline? No way that's going to happen. So when it happened, everyone said, wow, if I'm going to learn a martial art, let's learn what the skinny guy is learning. Because chances are, if I need a martial art, it's going to be against someone who is more athletic or more powerful. So it only makes sense to invest in the art that gives the smaller person a chance. And jujitsu... Right. And this is not a this is not a biased opinion. This is a this is a this is a, a, a simply a fact, statistical fact. Jiu-jitsu has been proven effective against larger, more athletic opponents for a longer period of time than any other single martial art on the planet. Now, mixed martial arts, learning all the arts and blending them together is also great. But you have to know jujitsu because if you don't, um, your chance in a real street fight situation against someone stronger will not be nearly as 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 strong as if you learn this amazing martial art. So, well, and thanks for that background. Obviously, yes, I'm a big advocate for it. I, I got started probably five, five years ago um, and uh, just fell in love with it. And I think that for anybody who hasn't tried it and they maybe have a traditional CrossFit or strength conditioning background, they come to the table with some level of fitness. Um, I don't think that being stronger and fitter is going to be a bad thing. But I imagine when they get on the mat, they have to be aware of something. So, so what would you say to someone who's interested in jujitsu? They have an idea that, hey, I saw it on the UFC. They go to the ground and obviously whatever they're doing is working because that person just got choked out or armbarred or whatever. But where do you even start? Um, and then with that, what pitfalls do you see for people entering the sport, the self-defense, with a physical dominance? And I say that as someone who came there with you know, a certain level of strength and conditioning that I was able to kind of utilize. But after a while at the right opponent, you can't utilize those type of things. You need to be more strategic. You need to have better technique. So what, what challenges do you see with people that are physically strong and fit where they get away with stuff when they shouldn't? And then what would you recommend on how they start? I guess it's kind of a twofold question. Sure. Thanks for that. Um, regarding new students, new people on, who are on the fence, they listen to Joe Rogan, they watch UFC, they work out, they stay in shape like many of your audience members. If you're on the fence, what I always say is this, the, 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 the best way to, the UFC is not a good introduction to jujitsu for mm -hmm. someone who has fear of injury, fear of embarrassment, fear of you know, not being good at something, because that's a professional sport with the competitors at the highest level. So you look at that and you, you almost disassociate. Like you watch professional football and go, man, that's dope, but I want nothing to do with it. So don't let the UFC be your intro and don't let the UFC as a result deter you from giving it a chance. The reason why Jason's in love, I'm in love, Joe Rogan's in love, Sam Harris in love, you name it, like the number of celebrities, Vince Vaughn, um, you know, uh, all kinds of celebrities right now are doing jujitsu. The reason why is they got the bug, they got an intro and they, they got a good intro and they went for it. So what I'm saying to all the audience members out there is this, go to our website, gracieuniversity.com, watch the first three lessons. Now, because you're going to have a chance to see pure self-defense Gracie jujitsu taught without a cage and bloody punches and slams and knockouts you're going to see the true art for what it is in the from the beautiful sense and then the effective sense it's going to be a raw unfiltered introduction to the practice of jujitsu then you're going to have a baseline of what you should expect of how this art can be taught in in the really reliable effective safe way that you would obviously want as a student once you see that then you have a choice to make you can continue learning online because our systems are all designed for that someone can practice in a garage especially right now with covid it's blown up People are doing it from home. So you can learn online. Or if you're more of the brick and mortar type learner, many people are, you can go find a school. But when you go find a school, at least you now have something to compare it to because you saw us teach online. By This is all free, by the way. You log on. The first, we like unlock 30 lessons of different programs. Bullyproof is our kids program. Gracie Bullyproof. Women Empowered is our sexual assault awareness and prevention program for women. You got Gracie Combative is our beginner co-ed program 36 lessons, the most important ones for self-defense. So we have all these specific demographic-specific programs. Once you have an intro to those, 
you know what to expect. So then the next step is to lo locate a school in your area. We have a database on our website of all of our certified training centers, but there's only 180 of those. There might, you might not be where there's one located. So you go into a school and you just make sure that th what they're teaching reflects what your interests and aspirations are. And the reason I say that is jujitsu exists heavily as two things. It's a very effective system of self-defense for real fights. It is also a recreational sport like taekwondo or judo or wrestling where it has martial arts connotations to it but the truth is the practice is almost entirely sportive in terms of what the goal is in your practice and um you know you'll hear the instructor talk about this many points or this time limit or yeah. this weight class that's that's a sport jujitsu filter versus a certified training center where you're going to go there and learn and you're not going to hear those references. Well, the references you're going to hear are, if the guy tries to punch you from right here, here's what you do. And if they try to bite you, here's what you do. And if the terrain is hard, keep your head up so you don't bounce your head because it may not be a mat like this. So the discussion is different. So it's important that when you go to a school, if what you're looking for is self-defense, that you ask the right questions and, and you watch a few classes to say, man, are they teaching something that I could see being directly and immediately applicable in a real fight altercation on the street? Or is what they're doing some kind of codified, modified version of this art that doesn't quite, in my mind at least, I don't see the connection to real life right here. And if that's the case, chances are what you're seeing is a pre predominantly a sport jujitsu instructional environment. And not that that's bad. The same reason wrestling and judo and taekwondo aren't bad. But a student should know going into it that there is a difference. And it's important that you know how to identify the difference. Because what you don't want to have happen is go look for self-defense, train for four years, get a purple belt. And then you're looking around saying, man, I don't feel like if I got in a fight, much of what I know would even translate. Which we've had happen a lot to students all over the world. And then they come to us and they're like, hey, why don't I learn this? Why didn't I learn this when I was a beginner? And I say, well because I didn't choose what your instructor taught you because I have nothing to do with that. And BJJ is totally unregulated. Yeah. So those are some of the pitfalls. And then for the athletic people going into jujitsu, right? If you're, if you're a natural athlete or a, right, an invested in athlete that you put the time, you put the energy, you built your strength in your athleticism and your cardio, here's the problem you're going to face. You are all your life, everything you've done, you've learned that more power and explosiveness and speed will get you better results. And in jujitsu, having that is an, it can be an advantage. But when you're learning the art that is supposed to work with leverage, timing, and energy efficiency, and placement, and all these beautiful little subtleties that make it effective against someone more athletic than you, when that happens, your athleticism kind of becomes a hindrance because you rely on it at times where you shouldn't. And why is it a hindrance? If I have it, why not use it? Well, because the whole point of jujitsu is to prepare for the time where you're up against someone more athletic than you, right? Imagine if at CrossFit Games, you could defeat all your opponents in a way other than being more physically fit than them. That right. would be a great, everyone would sign up for that. They would say, wait a minute, what's the hack? What's the right, hack? Right, 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 How right, can right. I win the games without being stronger, faster, and more powerful? Because that's the metric that they currently use to be effective, right? The point is with jujitsu, there are those hacks. But if all you're relying on is power all the time and chasing speed and athleticism, you won't spend the time to invest in the techniques and skill sets that will allow you to be those equalizers against someone more athletic because you were buried in your athleticism the whole time. So you have to put down your athleticism to build your potential against someone more athletic. Got it. I, that's a great answer. I, I feel like I experienced that myself, right? And I get totally what you're saying. So if someone's looking to get into jiu-jitsu, and, and then I want to kind of shift gears, but what, just to kind of final note on this, there's gi and there's no gi. Now, with Gracie Combatives, with the university for wearing a gi, no gi, you hear people talk about, oh, it's more common outside on the street to wear a gi or not to wear a gi. What is your perspective there? And do you think people should do both? And if they can only pick one, what would they first explore? And I guess my last thing is, even if you are going down the path of sport jiu-jitsu, which I've gone down the, the path of sport jiu-jitsu, right? Trying to understand the point system, which is pretty complex when you first get into it. It's, it's a little complicated for me to understand at first. Um, if those are the schools, I feel like there's more schools that are focused on the sport side than they are of the uh, combative side. A am I correct to say that? Yeah, you're, you're correct. It's about 95%. I would say jiu-jitsu schools are, are, are mostly or entirely committed to training sport jiu-jitsu, correct? 
So if that was the case, and I do think there's a lot of people who are interested in more of a self-defense perspective, why do you think more have not transitioned towards uh, more of a combatives focused approach? And then what do you like better, the, uh, the gi or the no gi? And, and, and for what reason? Let me, do the, let me do the gi question first. So in Gracie combatives, it's a no gi beginner curriculum. We don't, and here's the key. You, we wear a gi when we do it in class. You wear the gi. But we're not relying on the gi. There isn't one technique yeah, where I tell you, hey, grab the collar like this. Yeah. So Gracie combatives, because it's self-defense, we can't rely on any piece of clothing necessarily. So it's not gi reliant, even though we wear a uniform for hygiene reasons in our beginner classes. So that's the distinction there. Um, now, schools that are all gi or all no gi are bad. All of one or all of the other, bad. Because both training with the gi and training no gi provide unique benefits to the practitioner. Here, we do gi three days a week. We do no gi three days a week. Like there's just, a, for the advanced students, for like we actually wear no gi and we train and we spar with those elements or lack thereof. And the reason why, when you train with the uniform on, your ability to escape, your ability to defend submissions is enhanced. When you train with no gi, two people no gi, you are enhancing your ability to control people and your ability to submit people because you can't rely on the gi grabs. So both have unique benefits. Do you understand? And you can't yeah. get one and you can't get one without the other. And that's, it is what it is. Such that people who purely train no gi, if you put them in a gi, they almost hyperventilate and have claustrophobia and don't know how to move. And if they get grabbed, they get all stuck up. They don't, they're completely thrown off. And then people who train entirely gi, when you take off the gi from their opponent, yeah. they feel like they're grabbing onto a bar of soap. They don't know right. how to hold the person. So my point is you have to know how to – your jujitsu cannot be contingent. Your black belt should not be contingent on what your opponent is wearing. That's our philosophy, and that's why we do both here at Gracie University and at all of our certified training centers. But that's the mindset is that they're, they're – it's hey, Monday or Tuesday, gi or no gi, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as all or not. There is, sadly, but there shouldn't be because I think that – Everyone should be exposed to both. Now, I will say that the schools where it is all one or all the other, they're largely associated with the schools that are predominantly sport because yes. they're preparing for an engagement that they know will be no gi or that right. they know will be gi. So they're investing all of their time in that one type of engagement for sportive you know, uh, dominance and, 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 and competition, victory and gold medals, which, which is makes understandable sense for, because you, for what they're trying to do. hundred percent. You have to not only make sense, you have to, because your competition is doing the same thing. So you got to right. stay up to the part regarding the question regarding why aren't more schools teaching self-defense? The first answer is people can only teach what they know. Mm. Okay. So someone who trains at a sports school, when they become a purple belt, brown belt, eventually a black belt, and they say they want to open a school. They're just going to do what was done to them. Right. They don't have, they lineage, don't know how to make yeah. it. Right. That's just what it is. They don't, they don't, there's no other way. There's no, you have to break the mold to do that. So what people, what people who own schools that focus entirely on sport jujitsu think is that by preparing their students to go compete for a competition for that medal, that the student's going to win the medal. And then that medal is going to make the school look good. And as a result, they're going to be able to attract more students because the, the, the gold medal dominance makes them a legitimate uh a legitimate source of jiu-jitsu instruction because their student got a gold medal but what they don't realize is that when your student wins a gold medal the main people who see that are other people who do jiu-jitsu in sport and already have their own schools that they train at right it's not like you have this huge global audience watching spectator jiu-jitsu and then signing up because so and so won a gold medal in jiu-jitsu that's not how this works you understand so you're marketing to an audience that already has their own uh, right. uh, loyalties and their own schools, you're trying to pull from them. When a school teaches for self-defense, they're teaching for what they know the student is coming looking for, right? How many people walk in the building saying, man, when you walked in the first time, you didn't think I want to compete in jujitsu. You walked in thinking, I want to learn jujitsu because I hear it's so effective in a fight. Like I want to just know how to protect myself and I want to put my skills and be capable of more than I'm currently capable of. And then over time, you start to realize, wow, so this is what jujitsu is. This is, this is the form that it's taking in my practice here. But most students don't walk in expecting anything other than to be better in a street fight against someone else. Yeah. So 
here's the problem. Teaching that environment, teaching in a self-defense environment requires the instructor to be trained on how to do that because chances are, if you just go to any other school that doesn't focus on that, you're going to teach the same way that you learned and you won't be able to break the mold and actually show. And, uh, and here we are, you know, with, you know, pre-COVID, almost 1,500 students, one of the biggest schools in the world of jiu-jitsu, you know, and it's a self-defense focus. And we're teaching men, women, and children from four to 74, and they're all having the best times of their lives. So there's an incredible, there's a larger market. There's a much, from a business perspective, there's a much larger market of yeah. people who want to learn self-defense and who are not going to be competing, which is about usually three to 4% of the population. The remaining 96%, that's the population that I want to make you available for and create the school and the environment where they're welcome, safe, encouraged, and challenged, but in a way that speaks to them, where so many schools focus on the 4%, and then the remaining 96% are just kind of like grappling dummies and or you know, just people to facilitate the growth and, and aspirations of the 4%. It's funny. There's a lot of parallels between jujitsu and CrossFit, a ton. Uh, CrossFit Games really took off and I was fortunate to be a kind of a part of that launch for the last decade plus and gyms got started and there was people that uh, that's what they that's what their interests were right where they want to go to the CrossFit Games but they didn't realize that 90 something percent of their membership that paid the bills that grew the business had no interest in ever competing in the sport of fitness or potentially competing in the sport of jiu-jitsu and so what did, you know, as you've grown your business from brick and mortar to digital, and we can get into the digital, but the brick and mortar in particular, um, what types of things have you seen? I mean, growing your schools, I think there's so many parallels, but what pitfalls have you seen in jujitsu? Uh, and, and, and what encouragement do you have about, you know, the business side of jujitsu? Because I see a lot of growth in jujitsu, just like I saw CrossFit kind of take off. I feel like jujitsu is just hitting this big stride right now more than ever. Yeah. But what, what advice do you have for someone who wants to open a school and do you even advise to open up a school or do you think it's kind of not a good yeah. thing to do? No, I, <laughs> I advise it 100%. I feel like, you know, jujitsu has, has literally is just scratching the surface right now, number one. So anybody like who's listening right now thinks, oh man, I've been hearing about it for seven years, but I haven't done anything about it. You're still very early. Let me tell you how early we are. So right now, law enforcement in America is under incredible scrutiny because of their use of force. We've been teaching law enforcement for 25 years. For 25 years, we've been telling them cops need to trade at least one to two hours a week. What they've been doing instead is training four hours a year because that's what the state mandates in most cases. So a police officer, Officer Jason, gets four hours a year of jujitsu type grappling tactics and then has to go arrest some wild, drugged out, freaking huge monster of a person you know, with or without a weapon and has to take this person down and put them in cuffs. So cops are grossly underprepared. They always have been. The only difference now is they're under such scrutiny because everything's yeah. being recorded Cell on phones. video. Yep. So now you have to be much better. And the, the, put it this way, the level of public and civilian uh, visibility of law enforcement in America has gone up a thousand times, but the training tactics have stayed the same since 1964. So nothing has changed. So what we have is an incredibly disastrous scenario of that increased accountability with the archaic training practices. Well, finally, the straw is breaking the camel's back. And right now, every single department in the country is under incredible scrutiny for reform and budget cuts and all these things. You better do something. Otherwise, you're going to get swept up by this wave of police reform that's going to essentially do more bad than good in many cases if you don't preempt it and do something yourself first. Well, a department that we've been working with for 11 years, Marietta, Georgia, police department. Guess what happened? They had a video go viral on their watch. Terrible, all the wrong reasons. They were punching a guy way too much, and it went out, and now the department looks terrible. One of the, uh, the, the, the command staff there, Major Jake King, decides. He says, man, we can't ask them to, to perform better if we don't provide better tools. So it's unreasonable to expect them to do more with so little. Four hours a year. What are, who are we kidding? Right? So at that point, they said, what we're going to do is take a group of rookies in the academy, new hires, and put them on regular weekly jujitsu practice two times a week for the five months that they're in the police academy. We're going to buy their uniforms, and they let them sign up on the department's dime at a local, carefully vetted civilian Brazilian jujitsu school. And they did this. They were the first ones to do this. After five months, the officers come out. They're the most confident group of new recruits in the history of the agency 
They're using the techniques in the field, and they have video of these uh, recruits arresting people more convincingly, more calmly, less violently, no profanity, no punches, in a way that has never been seen even by the, the, the longest standing veterans of the agency. So when they saw this, Marietta said, man, this is so good. Let's open up this sponsored training opportunity to the entire agency, 145 officers. So they did that. 95 officers opted into this program. 50 did not. So you have in the same agency, you have a control group. And they were able to do that for 18 months. And they just recently published the data and was shared with me because I have a relationship with Marietta because they've been certified in our law enforcement called GST, Gracie Survival Tactics. You can see up there all those challenge coins from different agencies. So they're certified for 11 years. So they shared the data with me. We published the data together. And here's the result of that situation. So in the 18 months prior to the initiation of this program, and the reason why this matters to everyone who's listening is because a new opportunity has opened up for jujitsu in America that never existed. And it's time, if you own a CrossFit gym, it's time that you get certified to teach jujitsu and add it to your menu of offerings, your catalog of offerings there, so that you can join this jujitsu bandwagon and ultimately help save lives in your community in police officer lives and civilian lives. That's why I'm telling you this right now. So back to the story. So the 18 months prior, and this is all published on our website and Marietta, you can check it out. I'll give you the link at the end if you care. GracieUniversity.com slash reform. So they published this data 18 months prior to the initiation of this program. There were 29 officers injured in the use of force, using force in the field. 29 injuries, 18 months. In the 18 months after the program, there were reduction. There was all the way down 15 injuries sustained in 18 months after the initiation of the BJJ program. It's a 48% reduction agency-wide in injuries to officers in their uses of force. Now, here's what's wild. All of the reported injuries, those 15, all of them were from the non-BJJ training oh. officers in the agency. Is that right? Yeah. So 15 injuries in the minority, which was the 45 off, 50 officers who did not opt in, whereas the 95 officers who opted in, zero reported injuries in 18 months in all of those uses of force that happened. So why so, don't you think everybody opted in? I'm just curious. Like if, you're, if your well, department's going to pay you Why doesn't everyone train? do CrossFit? Why doesn't everyone right. do Jiu-Jitsu? Why doesn't everyone do good things for themselves? Because right. the truth is some cops, you know, are old, out of shape, are too much ego. They have that pride in their gun and their badge. You know how it is. You have to, Jiu-Jitsu requires a little bit of an ego check. But once you get into it, it's the best thing you've ever done. So we'll explore that later. But right now, I'm going to share more data, but Marietta's main goal now is to get the rest of those officers to opt in because of how much money the agency is saving as a result of the reduced workers' comp claims that aren't happening because there aren't the injuries anymore. So with the reduction in those injuries, they've already saved over $67,000 in workmen's comp claims that never happened as a result of the less sustained injuries. Now, in the population of jujitsu, there's zero Workman's comp claims, zero, 100% reduction. There's non-existent so far, obviously. Things will happen, but just statistically, it couldn't be more promising. So then I asked the agency, I asked Marietta, I asked Major King, I said, what about officer, what about injuries to suspects? And he said something remarkable, that the injuries to suspects, we, call, we talk about hospitalization is the classification, right? A little bruise or a scratch, nothing. Hospitalization clearance is what the watermark is for a sustained serious injury. Serious injuries to the civilians in their interactions with officers are 53% less likely with a BJJ trained officer. Hmm. So hospitalization is more than twice as likely when you get arrested by someone who doesn't do jujitsu than when you get controlled and arrested by one who does. Now, Jason, this is not a surprise. No, neither one of these statistics, the injury reduction or the injuries reduction to, to civilians is a surprise to you or me because it makes so much sense. A fight for you or me is not a violent, crazy thing. It's just another day at the office. Take them down, control, mountain, hip pressure, talk to them, stay calm. We do this every day. So this is the whole point. Now their officers are doing this every day, just part of jujitsu. And I said, Marietta, how are you guys paying for this? Where's the money coming from? Because the number one concern for every chief is budget. It's always yeah. budget. That's why nothing good ever happens is budget, right? 
But it's why anything good doesn't happen, I should say, is because of the budget. And he said, Henner, in the beginning, we just use asset forfeiture funds. So when they seize drug money or they take down a, a drug lord and they get that's federal asset. And if you submit a grant requ request, the federal government will approve the agency to use those assets to fund anything that has to do with training or equipment. That's it. Really? Training huh. and equipment. So this is considered okay. training for the officers yeah, of course. using asset forfeiture. But here's the beautiful part. That was in the beginning. And they spent $26,000. There's been 2,600 classes taken so far by the officers in the 18-month period. $10 per class is the, is the deal. So $26,000 invested, $67,000 saved. Net profit or net savings for the agency is over $41,000. This is the whole point. Because of this equation, financially and injury reduction-wise, is why publishing this data was the biggest thing that's happened in law enforcement in the last 100 years. Because now we're getting approached by agencies all over the country who want to re replicate this model in a partnership for their officers to train at a civilian-owned jujitsu school on the department's dime. Right. And that so could that be the a, officers could, Yeah, that could be a jujitsu school that's currently operating, right? So this whole, this whole, uh, uh, Mariette, this whole conversation started because I asked you, hey, is, what do you think about opening a jujitsu school? And your thing there's is, I think where you're going with this, there's never been a better time. There's never been a better time to join Team Jiu-Jitsu because what's happening right now is unprecedented. You've never heard of a police department partnering with a karate school so that the officers can go learn karate and then the police department will pay their, 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 their tuition membership. Non-existent, right? Nothing against karate. It's just this is unprecedented that finally, and it makes sense that it's jujitsu because of the de-escalation, non-violent nature of jujitsu. This is what we're talking about. So anyone who's on the fence of, man, does jujitsu work? Well, for American policing, it's their go-to now for all officers in every country and every agency. This is where we're moving towards. So if you open a school now, you are a potential prospect of someone who could be on the, on the radar because we're getting approached. For example, in the last couple months, we've gotten over 50 inquiries from agencies that want to partner with civilian schools. Now, right. in locations where we have certified training centers, it's easy. It's plug and play. We just signed two contracts this week. Roswell, Georgia, and uh, Peachtree City, Georgia. So they're coming and they're just happening. So we set up these contracts where we, we provide uniforms for the agency's officers, one bulk shipment of uniforms, and then they go to class and then they just, we send them an invoice at the end of each month and they pay for all the classes that were taken. It couldn't be simpler. So it's, it's unprecedented. It's never happened before. And here's the key. These agencies, they're very skeptical about which jujitsu schools they partner with because they're sending their officers to go train. And if there are no safety protocols, if it's a sport heavy school, um, if there's many factors in place that make it not ideal to send government employees to go invest in a skill that's going to matter uh, in the field, if, if they send them to the wrong school, it could really ruin things. So that's why these agencies are reaching out to us is because they prefer these partnerships be with certified Gracie Jiu-Jitsu training centers. Number one, 100% self-defense. Number two, safe. Beginners in the very beginning, they're not sparring. Many schools, you're sparring on day one, day two, day three. You're sparring in the first two weeks and you don't even know what you're doing. So you're cracking a rib or twisting a finger or bruising your jaw because you don't know what you're doing. It's so common. So with us, we protect the beginners early on. We create that safe initial training environment. And because we have our law enforcement certification called Gracie Survival Tactics, this is a separate product that we certify agencies all over the country uh, in week-long instructor certification courses. This happens. This is a huge part of our business. Because we have that course and we're already certifying the agencies, these chiefs of police trust us as a teacher of teachers organization so they know the quality of our instruction and the quality of our curriculums. So they know when they send their officers to the civilian-owned school that that instructor will, number one, have the highest quality teaching standards adhere to. Number two, that instructor can teach GST, law enforcement specific. We're talking weapon retention. We're talking uh, arrest and control transitions out of submissions. So there's a lot of adaptations, Jason, that are necessary to make jujitsu law enforcement applicable. Like when you have all the duty and all the gear, and this GST program provides that. And it's on video, all online. So yeah. a student can go to class, go home, log on, and watch the very lesson they just took because all of the material exists online as well. And that's free 
for all the age, all the officers from that department. Once the department partners with us, all the officers get that free online access to the videos. So for all these reasons, certified training centers, what we call CTCs, are the perfect partners for the agencies. But literally right now, Jason, we're getting so many inquiries. We don't have schools there. And sometimes there is no school. So we're working on opening schools in territories where we have inquiries, but no certified training center. And that's why I'm saying, if you own a CrossFit gym, you already know how to run a business, right? Maybe there's a, a, a next door vacancy in a building and you're like, man, I want to learn jujitsu and I want to open a certified training center and have it as part of my offering to my CrossFit members, but also so I can plug into this department partnership possibility. Because if you're not offering jujitsu and especially Gracie's jujitsu being the, the ideal option for these law enforcement agencies, if you're not doing that, you're not even in the discussion. We yeah. can't even and so, offer the opportunity. So if you own a jujitsu studio right now um, or, you know, across, I mean, so we have corporate wellness locations and when we go to a company, we go and we, we, you know, we have a certain kind of protocol we go off of to try and get that a corporate account. If you were a jujitsu gym and you wanted to go train the law enforcement right now, what would be the, your initial, aside from working through uh, Gracie, I, I get that. Aside from working through you, what would be their steps if they want to try and reach out to local law enforcement and get those guys into their facility? What type of recommendations would you have for that? You're saying if you own a jiu-jitsu school or a CrossFit? Uh, I would say jiu-jitsu school. And then, and then, yeah, eventually if you have a CrossFit gym and you want to start getting them in, right, whether it's for fitness or for jiu-jitsu, if you end up opening um, that, you know, the, the challenge for a CrossFit gym owner is that they don't have an expertise in this in this form. So how long would it take? That's the more important question. The previous question will, I don't think, I, the previous question of how do you approach the agency if you're teaching sport jujitsu or if you're running a CrossFit gym, my answer is I have no idea. I don't even know what you're going to sell. Like you're yeah. going to tell them you're going to go get their cops ready for the next competition in a gi uniform without consideration for their duty belt. I don't know how to sell what I don't understand. Right. So. Uh, let's ignore that for, for a second. And let's talk about what you're going to, what you're implying now, which is what's the process like for a CrossFit gym owner, zero jutsu experience. What do they need to do? So I'm going to explain two things. One is called TRP territory reservation program. The other is called ICP. I'll start with the ICP instructor certification program in jujitsu. There's this weird belief that if you're not a black belt, not, not in jiu-jitsu as a whole, but there's some people who perpetuate this idea that if you're not a black belt, you can't teach. And the thing is this, they, yeah, the black that's, belts that's, want, that's pretty common uh, practice. Yeah, I know. And the black belts are the ones who impose that mindset. They want people to think that because that way it's a monopoly for them. Number one. So black belts have an interest in convincing the world that other black belts shouldn't be teaching because then it keeps them at the top of the, of the mountain. Hmm. Here's the reality. The reality is you, Jason, today, if you ended up in the middle of China and you were going to start a business and you felt that people would want to learn jujitsu with the skills you have now, you would change some lives with people who've never seen jujitsu. Mm -hmm. So the point is all you have to do, you only have to have enough water to fill up the cup of the person who's holding it. And if that cup is very small because they're brand new, you're going to fill it up just as easily as anybody else. So right. I'm not saying you should be underqualified. What I'm saying though is beginners, simply need a very structured beginner exposure to jujitsu and Gracie combatives. We've distilled all of the art down to the core 36 fundamental techniques. That is that program. So when we certify an instructor, we're not saying you got to be a black belt. We're saying approximately 12 months, give or take someone goes through Gracie combatives, gets some more advanced training beyond that slightly. And then once they do that and they have skills in this beginner course, they go into what's called the instructor certification program. It's called the ICP. And the ICP, you unlock it. It's a 60-day online train the trainer, uh, basically learning modules, how to teach jujitsu. Think of it as an online semester of instructional jujitsu guidance. And at the end of that 60-day online course, you submit five videos demonstrating proficiency in those teaching methodologies. And if you pass, we invite you to California to then verify those teaching proficiencies and your uh, your skill set in the techniques in person. There's a live evaluation here that happens twice a year, but you have to meet those requirements before you come here so that we know that you can meet those requirements. Now, the initial beginner programs that I told you, Gracie Combatives, you can learn that at an existing certified training center, or you can learn it online from home in your garage with a training partner. You guys go through that technique every day. You learn a few techniques. So we've designed it to where someone could go through the training, learn all the material, 
and complete Gracie combatives without ever having to come to us in person initially for that initial learning phase, especially when you own a business and it's hard to sneak away for several months at a time. But if you could train in the morning and then run your business at night, you could absolutely make progress towards learning the skill set, the beginner program that would allow you to then become a level one certified training center of Gracie Jiu Jitsu. When you open your level one CTC, let's say you graduate from the live evaluation, you go through all the work, you put in all the time. Once you graduate, at that point, you then open your school and that's when you can start exploring the possibility of these partnerships because the police officers are going to send you, right? These are officers who also know very little about regular jujitsu and they're going to come in and you're going to be able to offer Gracie combatives. And that's the, the very bare minimum program that any agency would be looking for so that these officers can get regular weekly jujitsu practice in a safe, controlled environment. It's interesting. So you bring up this idea of you don't need to be a black belt to coach something. And I, 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 it's really um, kind of counterintuitive uh, because you've, you've been taught, hey, only black belts for the most part are coaching for the most part at most schools, uh, black or brown. And my question is, you know, in CrossFit, it's very similar. It's like, hey, if you have to be really, really good at CrossFit games to be a great coach, but that's not that's not true. You don't have to be exceptional. You just have to know more than the person you're coaching and or be an exceptional coach and administrator of information to be able to help that person achieve their goals. And so it's really unique to hear you say, so So, what level do you think it is? So let's just say you're a year. Is that like a blue belt level, would you call that? Um, yeah, so, so when they open, yes, our, our instructors, when they open their schools, will have reached blue belt. Typically a little more than, a, if you're brand new zero, it's more than a year. Um, so I would say closer to a year and a half, but someone will have earned their blue belt uh, in our programs and through our processes before opening their certified training center. That's the general requirement. Now, you said something interesting. Not only do you not have to be a black belt or a CrossFit Games champ, I'd go further. And I'd say, just because you're a black belt, by no means should you or can you teach. So the point is, we have to look at the mastery and the competitive prowess and the teachability of the skill as two literally completely separate things. And the students, Jason, they don't care. I don't, if I'm a student, I don't care what you can do to me. I care what you can do for me. Right. Right. So the fact that you're a black belt world champion, you can kill me and tie me into a knot is one thing. But if you can't teach me the basics that I can defend myself and my family because you're a competition and you don't understand how to teach self-defense, then what good are you to me for my goals? So not only is it not black belt guarantee, the fact is a black belt, it could be worse than a blue belt who actually has some structure and some guidance. So what this ultimately boils down to, Jason, is two things, curriculum structure and delivery, teaching methods. And those are the two things that we are the masters at structuring curriculums and certifying instructors, teaching people how to teach jujitsu. No one creates instructors better than we do, even though there's hundreds of world champions and all have maybe their own schools, some more successful than others. When it comes to certifying, creating new instructors to teach jujitsu at a very, we'll call relatively low number of years of experience, no one does it like we do. So much so that I have schools, Apple Valley, California, Johnny Vasquez, we put a video out on him recently. Johnny Vasquez, Blue belt, three years he had his school, over 350 students this guy's doing in three years. He's grossing over $40,000 a month in memberships, and he's a blue belt. And there yeah. are black belts in his own city that have less than 100 students. So how does one articulate, but wait a minute, it's not like the students don't know that black belt exists. They know the black belt's there. And many left the black belt to train with the blue belt because they found safer, structure, structure, self-defense, online resources. The business model is just so much more powerful and the experience is so much more pleasant and encouraging for the student that they don't want to go. They want to learn jujitsu, but not like that. They want to learn it with Johnny, not with that black belt down the street. So this is happening yeah. all over the world. So, so in Cross, we have very similar. There's no consistency across the board. And you're trying to provide consistency through your instructions, through your protocols. I get it. We do the same thing at our gyms, right? So we have a bunch of gyms that follow our programs and we have our protocols. Very, very similar paths, just completely different, you know, BJJ and, and our fitness side. But my question is, what do you think is going to happen for the future of jujitsu? Meaning, Jiu-Jitsu is growing like this. You're the law enforcement, like I was telling you, even on the uh, most recent, uh, you know, uh, case, uh, uh, you know, we're reading about with George Floyd, they bring up Jiu-Jitsu and how it's a very effective art and that they train it. Now it's becoming more of a common theme, right? Jiu-Jitsu comes up a lot. And 
what's going to happen if someone goes in? How do you provide consistency across the globe in jujitsu so that someone doesn't go in for a poor experience and all of a sudden they start thinking that all jujitsu gyms are going to be like that? And I know the answer is, hey, you're, you're trying to provide the solution by having these protocols, but what else could be done? Because in CrossFit, we've seen that where because there is no level of consistency, it's not a franchise, right? Um, what's the solution for jiu-jitsu? Or is it just, hey, the cream will rise to the top and you just got to put out the best product you can? So I assume you're asking me within the realm of the schools that I oversee myself. I no, I mean, just, it's just in general, all schools. Like what, what would be well, the no. thing for jiu-jitsu? No, 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 hold on. We have to have two, discuss two separate discussions, right? When you talk about jiu-jitsu as a whole, Jason, yeah. like any industry, BJJ is the same as karate. How do you control the control of karate? Nobody controls all of karate. It is right. what it is. Some are better than others. That's why it's so important that within karate, there are certain organizations that stand for something that can ensure a quality experience. It's almost like saying, Henry, how can we ensure the quality of hamburgers throughout the country? The answer is you can't. What you can do is start a McDonald's franchise mm. and every McDonald's guarantee an experience. Now, when you said CrossFit, the problem is if they are a true CrossFit school, a licensed CrossFit center, the problem that you've probably seen is even within licensed CrossFit schools, there's no consistency in how people do things. And that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm the, I'm the CrossFit of jujitsu, except one more piece. There is consistency, there is quality, and there is a certainty. And here's how. I'm going to share something with you that is my secret to how I ensure quality at every one of our certified training centers that CrossFit hasn't figured out, nor has any jujitsu organization, nor has, well, McDonald's is pretty dialed in, but <laughs> here's how. This is how we figured it out. Gracie University is unique. Online, the online university right. has the online curriculums, and we allow video evaluations for different courses and curriculums. You can video evaluate to where we can send you feedback through Gracie University, right? Official belt promotions like blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, you have to do it at a certified training center. But in between those belts, there are opportunities for people to evaluate via video so we can see if they're on track. So our curriculum allows you to grow from home and be verified from home to a great extent. And then at the end of your home verification and solid practice, you go to a school, you get tested. And then if you pass and you meet quality standards, you get your belt, you get your official promotion. This is happening all over the world, right? To the tune of 300 plus thousand students that we have now in Gracie University Online. So here's the key to the whole secret to the whole sauce. When you open a certified training center, if Jason were to open, what, what city do you live in? Uh, Campbell. Campbell. So let's San Jose. Just Gracie. say San Jose. Yeah. San Jose? Yeah. Gracie Jiu-Jitsu San Jose. Uh, certified Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Training Center under Jason Kalipa. Once that school opens and you start teaching Gracie Combatives, Gracie Bully Proof, Women Empowered, Master Cycle, it's a full-on business. We're going to part you with the San Jose PD. You're their go-to spot. Everybody's winning. When that happens and one of these students, civilian or not, so law enforcement, gets to the point where they're ready to test for their belt promotion in Gracie Combatives, our beginner program, you are gonna test the student, Jason, at your location, but you're gonna video record the performance of that student's test. You are gonna upload that test, so when Jason says, my student's ready for Gracie Combatives, you upload it and say, here's why I believe they're ready, look at this. And you're gonna tell us out of their performance what deductions you would give them as, the, as their instructor. I would deduct seven points. But since they are scoring above 90%, it's a pass. So 90 or higher considered a pass. Minus seven, that counts as a 93. So you would send in their test, Jason, and we would then watch at headquarters, we watch your evaluation of your own student. So now you evaluate them and we evaluate your evaluation. Right. So thank you. Game over, bro. So now if, let's say this. Let's say when I evaluate my team, I have a team of evaluators, head instructors. When they evaluate it, let's say that you, in fact, scored minus 15. Your student scored minus 15. So it was actually a fail. I would send the results to you, right? You get your note. All the time codes, Jason, of every mistake that you made, your student. When I say you, right. I mean the student. Every mistake the student made, they get 15 time codes of all their deductions. And then I send it back to you. I say, Jason, great work. Here's the 15 deductions. We don't think the student's quite ready yet. But if you review the deductions, you will see several notes that will help improve your instruction so that future students don't make the same mistakes. Right. So what you're doing is you're doing quality control through multiple different steps. And that's a good yes. way to do it. Now, how do you scale? On the I mean, front end, Jason, on the front end and on the back end, 
So yeah. when we certify you, we verify you the, to the heck out of you. Once you're certified, we don't just let you go like every CrossFit gym, like every jujitsu school, like every everything. Go, good luck. I hope you teach my stuff correctly because it's no longer my problem. You're doing this on your own from now on. That's not how we run it. From that point forward, we want to see every test that comes through for those beginner students to make sure that the core curriculum is being taught exactly. And here's what's wild, Jason. Because of this constant feedback that happens, once you've submitted 20 tests, think about how much invaluable feedback you've gotten from headquarters on the quality of your instruction and the performances of your students. So you're going to improve as an instructor as more time passes, where in yeah. most other organizations, the more time that passes, the more watered down the instruction becomes. Because you're evaluating the way I'm seeing and correcting that movement ultimately, right? And if I can't see it, how am I going to be able to correct it, right? Like if I'm giving a plus one or whatever it is, right? Yes. I need to be able to identify, hey, that's an issue. They're not getting the side control so appropriately. When you, send me your, Jason, when you send me your evaluation minus, you said minus, what was it? Minus seven. If I said minus 15, that means there were eight things that I saw that you did not see. Right. right. So those eight are deductions to help you grow, whereas the initial seven were the deductions to help the student grow that you gave them. Now, you will ultimately go to the student and say, hey, headquarters didn't think we were quite ready yet, but I, I can see all the mistakes. We're going to fix those in two weeks. We'll resubmit in a month, and you're going to be dialed in, and then you move on to the next program, the master cycle, and then it's a whole new beginning. So no one's done this. I'm surprised no one else is doing it. Not really. It's a lot of work. It's an incredible website that you know just took yeah, 10 to years scale. of programming. But yeah. I yeah, mean, think about all the work you have. So you have your, you have your initial curriculum, your additional curriculum, then they send in the, you have to have a feedback loop, right? So how are they going to send it in? What team is going to review it? How do you scale that? I mean, I totally get it. So I'm, um, so this conversation has gone in a little bit of a different direction than I originally intended, but what I like about what we were talking about is this idea of scaling consistency, repeatability, and that's, transverse that could translate into any industry especially in the fitness space right it's so so important especially as you open up more locations if you are a brick and owner member um you know i, I want to ask you 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 started um you've done a lot of innovative stuff right you've really pivoted to digital you've you've done a great job you've been 10 years in the making to create this online platform i guess my question is if you're someone who's a jiu-jitsu practitioner excuse me, a jiu-jitsu gym owner or a CrossFit gym owner or any boutique fitness and COVID just happened. And we saw the importance of kind of like this digital footprint. Yours has grown, ours has grown, but our brick and mortar got hit a little bit. I'm sure yours did in some way, shape or form. What would be the advice moving forward? Would you say that they should try and think about digital or, hey, let's get rid of what we weren't good at, which was, you know, Zoom, it was a, a means to an end. We got through it, but now it's time for us to get back into the gym. Or do you think there's still a place for, gym owners to have an online presence? What would be your answer to, well, to the typical owner? So for someone who has nothing to do with me, right. I think that the world in a year, the world just became a hundred times more tech savvy and more tech friendly. The people are more willing to learn through digital than they ever have been. So you can, once the world reopens, there will always be live in-person instruction until the day where you can get a, a little memory chip and you can have it surgically implanted in your head and, you then learn, and then all of a sudden you're a yeah. CrossFit Games champion or you're a Jiu-Jitsu master. Until that day, the idea of going in and sweating and building a connection with a pure person and learning to overcome challenges physically, whether it's fitness or Jiu-Jitsu, will always have a market. Now, one position is I'm good, like brick and mortar. As long as they're showing up, I'll pay my bills. The other option is, man, knowing that the world is so much more digital, technical friendly, I want, a, I want a piece of that pie. So however ambitious you are, you're good to go. Now, what I'll say is for our certified training centers is that we provide Gracie University online memberships to every member at every certified training center. So it's free. It's part of their membership. So we were perfectly positioned. In fact, when COVID hit and all the schools closed down their brick and mortar operations, they kept, many students kept paying their tuition at the school because the online membership was part of their membership and to support the school and still be able to have online access, which we permitted them to have for free, they still got the membership. Now, what we also did is we stopped charging all of our licensing fees, immediately canceled for every school in the world when COVID hit so that they could keep all the revenue and we didn't right. need a piece of that pie. And when we stopped charging the licensing fees, we did not stop giving all their students online access. So we threw them that that olive branch and it saved a ton of schools 
And obviously, my interest is that they stay afloat long enough to reopen because there are schools, right? So we were all about protecting their long-term growth and, and sustainability. Now, so in terms of the digital for our schools, it's part of the package. Right. So our individual school owners don't have to go create their online websites because it already exists. And it's already a key selling point as to why someone will join a certified training center, whether it's a civilian or a police department. The online access is a key selling point. Um, why they would do it with a CTC versus a brick and mortar BJJ school who could say, oh, I don't need online back to open brick and mortar. It's all good. So if you, if you're too lazy to do it on your own, at least partner with us so that we can do it for you. And you can still have that marketing advantage for your students out there who certainly will see it as a benefit because everyone loves to just go there, open up a lesson, watch their techniques, review it during a lunch break. They're in there. Like it's an incredibly powerful tool that our students take, you know, a great advantage of. So now, what I was going to mention earlier, Jason, as well, was the uh, TRP, Territory Reservation Program, that I meant to mention after the Instructor Certification Program. I just wanted to make sure this was in there because it's a huge deal. We only certify one certified training center, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, per territory. And generally, it's a 10-mile diameter, 5-mile radius, just, you know, a decent city size, right? We only certify one school per territory. Once a school opens, all other candidates are precluded from opening a CTC we don't even accept the application. Pretty much, it's a done deal. We used to only allow you to reserve your territory after you earned your blue belt and after you started the instructor certification program. Now, we changed it to where you today or any CrossFit gym owner today could submit a territory reservation application, lock up their territory for the 12 months for them to study the Gracie Combatives material and internalize that material and buy them enough time to begin the instructor certification program and during that time not have a risk of someone else swiping the territory from you. So this territory reservation program started uh, right around COVID last year, March, April. Yeah. We've had over 200 territory applications submitted all over the country. So we're just, these plots of land are being bought up. And then people are buying themselves the time to then go learn the material. And then once they complete it, they know their territory is safe. They open their CTC. Everybody wins. We're all benefiting. The reason why I pointed that out is all it takes to actually reserve the territory is the $1,600 fee, $1,600 fee. That is what pays for you to go through the Gracie Combatives and the entire instructor certification program. So the instructor certification program, ICP is $1,600 no matter what. With or without a territory. That's what it costs to do that. Right. What we're You're saying, saying you can is get a territory. Right. I'm saying by prepaying that, you get 12 months granted to you because we wanted to give people that safety. So it's like a consideration right. that we're giving to someone. As long as you put up the money and the commitment, and I'm going to do this, we'll lock up that territory for 12 months. And that happens when you submit that application. So on our website right now, gracieuniversity.com slash TRP is... Let's see, slash TRP, just to make sure that's the right URL. Yep, that it is. So graceuniversity.com slash TRP is where it explains everything about this process, the reservation process, the business model, the certification fees, all of this aspect of what it takes to become an instructor and open a school, you can find at graceuniversity.com slash TRP, and you can submit an inquiry, just the inquiry, which is free to find out, is it available or is it taken? And if your territory is available, then you have the chance to pay and submit the application full on, lock up the territory. If it's not available, you won't have paid anything because we'll let you know, like, yo, it's already taken. There's two guys. One guy came in on the pipeline, locked it up, and you can't submit an application because we won't accept it. I have to ask, because I know people are thinking this exact same thing. Um, you're, you're super knowledgeable. You have an incredible uh, you know, background, business acronym. You can just tell by the way you talk, the way you've built this business, pivoted to digital. It's been great. I've, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. Did you have a formal business background or sales background or who kind of taught you this piece of it? Because I, I know you've had mentors who have obviously taught you jujitsu. Of course, that's, that's, that's clear. But how about the business side? Where did, you, where did that come from? Did it just kind of... Nowhere. Came from nowhere and it came from everywhere. Um, I didn't go to college. Actually, I did for a couple of semesters. I dropped out of college because I realized that everything I needed to learn about my business was in my family business. So I came into this head first, 17, 18 years old, graduated high school. I was all in. I had been working in the family business since 13. I was started teaching as an employee at 13, 
At 16, I started teaching adults. By 18, I was teaching the Secret Service and the Special Forces with my dad at Fort Bragg. So, like, I was so early into jujitsu as a profession, as, a, as an instructor, that by the time 1920, I took over with my brother Hiron as the head instructor. We're now the leaders of a business, and I'm, like, sitting here in a pre-digital era. We have 225 students, and all I'm thinking is, how can we only have 200-plus students? We're the Gracie Academy. We should be much bigger. So over the next you know, several years, we, re, uh, we refocus on every branch, digital and otherwise, of the business to identify curriculum design, changing the structure, changing the training agreements, the contracts, how we interacted with the students, the separation of skill levels and programs and kids, and everything got re reshuffled from scratch. We redesigned jujitsu over those next several years, and it was so successful that we went from, once we kicked it into gear, we went from 225 to over 750 students in 18 months. During that period, it was so expansive, we had to move buildings. And when that happened is when we finally realized we cracked the code. And that was the initiation of, let's start certifying other people around the country and world to run our programs, our proprietary trademark programs and systems so that they too can experience the same success. And literally we never looked back and here we are 180 schools later in about 10 years, give or take. And we're growing at about 25 to 40 new schools a year. And, and since COVID, and this new, uh, since the launch, we have 180 schools, Jason, do the math. Right. Yeah. And you, you took on 200 more this we last took year. On 200 new territories are reserved, but have not been opened yet, but they're undergoing training as we speak. That's yeah. what we're living in right now. So we have the potential to double our size in literally 12 months. And what I'm telling you is that we're not going to slow down. And if you're a CrossFit gym owner out there and you're like, man, jujitsu, not jujitsu. All I'm telling you is you're missing out on something amazing, but it's not too late. And with the territory reservation program, there's no skill level qualification to start the journey. Reserve your territory. We're going to basically, that's going to sponsor you through Gracie Combatives and through the instructor certification program. If nothing else, you're going to get an amazing training experience. And by the time you're done, then you can decide, okay, I would like to exercise my right to open this certified training center. I've had the best time of my life and I want to be part of this Gracie Jiu-Jitsu movement forward. And I want to partner with the police department. I want to do all of that. And anybody who's listening right now who's still on the fence, what I would say is be excited about what I'm saying and be excited that I'm excited and that Jason's excited, but go to Gracie University, create a free profile, like a student profile, watch those first free lessons that I mentioned earlier. Once you watch the lessons, if they're not the most intriguing, like mentally stimulating and exciting self-defense lessons, or better yet, any lessons you've ever seen in your life on any subject, then cancel everything I'm saying. But if when you watch those free three lessons in Gracie Combatives and you go, man, these are really good. They teach well. It makes sense. I want to learn this. If you have that feeling, know that you should go beyond that and be the source of that feeling for other people in your community by going through the whole process and opening a certified training center. Yeah, the timing of this is really interesting because there's a lot of people that have been in the fitness space for a long time and maybe they're looking for some additional education. Maybe they're looking to get into jiu-jitsu and you're providing them a solution. What I would say to any gym owner listening is just, you know, look, listen to what Henry's saying in the sense of like, there's a lot of opportunity with what he's doing at Crazy University. It sounds very enticing, right? Just ensure that if it's not for you, maybe it's for someone else on your team who might be able to go through that process and they can integrate it. Or maybe someone else on your team can take over some of your roles and responsibilities if you're very excited about it. Just be aware that if you're the owner of your current business, you want to make sure that your house is clean before you try and take on more. Just make sure your stuff is good to go or delegate out and then move forward with additional stuff. And I'm sure with your experience, you kind of get what I'm saying there. Um, kind of. So for those uh, who are interested, I know that they could visit graceuniversity.com. You, you had mentioned the, the website earlier. Anywhere else that they could find more information about you, what you have going on, your, your quick flip, which I want to talk about, but I know that we're, you know, time, kind of time's running out. Uh, where can they find more information about you and everything you have going on? Yeah, so I'm at Henner Gracie. Henner is spelled R-E-N-E-R. -E -E so it's pronounced with an H, Henner Gracie. On Instagram, uh, YouTube, or, uh, YouTube Gracie Breakdown is our YouTube channel. Great Twitter channel. Henner Gracie. GracieUniversity.com. So it's all there, you guys. And then Shark Tank, YouTube, Henner Gracie on Shark Tank. And if you go and watch that on YouTube, that'll probably be more impressive than this entire podcast uh, in terms of, in terms of how, how, how entertaining it will be. Um, I invented something very special. Uh, I invented a hoodie that quickly and easily converts into a backpack. Literally, it's the most cool invention of all time. 
and it was an accident. I was at the park with my son. I took off my hoodie. I tied it. I was about to tie it around my waist. I became so frustrated that I didn't want to do it. And I just felt like I was a cool dad. So cool dads don't tie sweatshirts around their waist. So before I tied it, I was like, man, this sucks. And then I opted not to. And then I went home. And within 30 minutes, I had my first working prototype of a hoodie that turned into a backpack. 15 iterations later, six months later, where we finalized the prototype. We go to production overseas and we brought in 5,000 hoodies in December 2017. And at that point, all, everything is history. We go there. Shark Tank called me in 2018, did Shark Tank. It blew up. And, uh, and now it's, it's, it's just the coolest hoodie on the planet. And you guys can check it out at quickflipapparel.com. But watch the Shark Tank episode first. And Mr. Wonderful, I got an offer from Mr. Wonderful. I got an offer from uh, Robert Herjavec. And I got an offer from Lori. And I went I'm with the Lori. offer from Lori. But it, yeah. it was a crazy ride, like one of the craziest things in my life. So intense. Shark Tank was real as it gets. You get in there. They don't know anything about you. I went for 45 minutes and then 11 minutes. They edited it down to 11 minutes. And it was one of the most intense 45 minutes of my life. But it worked and it put us on the map. And then, and then Quick Flip, just, our company just blew up after that. And that's my part-time gig. Like I do jujitsu. I run Grace University. Quick Flip is, um, is just something that accidentally happened. But now it's turned into a monster such that we're licensing the technology. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a hoodie coming out in the Disneyland parks for Marvel Avengers, which is a crazy hoodie that turns into an Avengers backpack that they just designed. I just got prototypes of. So it's, it's, it's crazy. Everything's crazy. I love it, man. Well, keep doing you. I love watching some of your Gracie breakdowns. I like watching everything you have going on with that. And uh, I'm excited to hear uh, what type of owners look at this opportunity and something that they're interested in. I think that, you know, it's our job, this podcast in particular, and as we navigate moving forward to create opportunities for them. And I think you just brought one to the table. So I appreciate you, man. I hope you have a great day and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks, Jason. Keep up. Great work, man. We'll see you soon. Next time you're down here, we need to roll. Let's do it.